and welcome to Listen Closely with John and Chris. I'm John, and I'm here in southern New England, where it is really starting to feel like fall, and I don't like it. But I'm not going to complain, because my co-host is out there in the Pacific Northwest. And Chris, I have a question for you. Do your eyes have a mist from the smoke of a not-so-distant fire? (laughs) They do, unfortunately. I'm feeling like Michael Martin Murphy here with wildfire. (laughs) Touche. Yeah, it's really bad. I'm in southern Washington, and we've basically had toxic air levels for the last several days. Uh, I went outside for about five minutes today. I had to grab something from from my car, and my eyes start start burning. Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, you know, not bad. It's like swimming in a pool with chlorine or something, but, you know, it's not... It's not something you want when you just walk out the front door. <laughs> so uh, it's terrible. I mean, thankfully, I am not that close to the actual fires, um, though they are eh, they're maybe 30, 40 miles away, which is closer than I'd like. Close enough. Yeah. yeah. Um, All this because of a stupid gender reveal party gone wrong, right? Well, I, that might be the California one. I'm, one oh, okay. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but it's a mess. It's a mess. And Those parties are pretty stupid to begin with. Oh, they're terrible. They're, they're terrible. terrible. Just you know, shit, shit always seems to get weird in September, it feels like. Everything that can go wrong in September always seems to go wrong in September, it feels like. <laughs> well, it's the end of the summer. It's the end of the fun times. And although this year wasn't much of a carefree summer, but uh, still, you know, it's getting down Speak to... for yourself. <laughs> Well, you know, September isn't a total washout because September 26th marks the 75th birthday of a true legend and an icon. And for me, someone who has shaped my own musical taste and in my fashion sense, or maybe lack thereof sometimes, I am, of course, referring to the one and only Brian Ferry. Mm. Could you imagine, Chris, Ferry, 75 years old, Man, he is, you know, we throw the word icon a lot around these days, but he's a, he's a true icon and an underappreciated one, I think. On this side of the pond, I think he is. Yeah, I think finally in the last few years, uh, Barry and Roxy Music have gotten the credit they deserve, albeit really too late here in, in the States. But you're absolutely right. And look, there's been a lot that's been said about Ferry over the years. But I want to start with a few quotes from the 21st century about uh, about this dapper icon, if I may. In a 2004 New York Times Magazine article, journalist Glenn O'Brien said, Barry is one of the few men in the public eye who has got it right. He is that rare artist who stands unashamedly for intelligence and refinement. Right around that same time, the great fashion designer Tom Ford, who at that time was still designing for Gucci, cited Ferry as his ultimate style icon. But Ferry is much more than just a dapper English gent. Let's talk for a moment about Ferry's influence on other musicians. In 2018, the legendary disco funk producer and guitarist and co-founder of Sheep and my neighbor, 10 minutes to the south in Westport, Connecticut, Niall Rogers, Instead of a trip he made to London in the mid-1970s, I went out to this club and I saw this beautiful band called Roxy Music, and they were like gorgeous. They were decked out and dressed up to go on stage, 
The audience was beautiful. I got on the phone and called my boy in New York. I said, Bernard, I was Bernard Edwards, a co-founder of Sheep. We have got to do the black version of this shit. It changed my life, and from that moment on, I was meeting people like David Bowie, George Michael, Duran Duran. And finally, Chris, speaking of Duran Duran, in March of 2019, when Roxy Music were finally being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Duran Duran's bass player and founding member John Taylor summed up Ferry best. Taylor said, the name Brian Ferry has become a synonym for cool. He is like Cary Grant, another Englishman whose phenomenal drive and determination lay behind an image that was made to look so effortless, aspirational, but strongly grounded in his working class roots. Brian is one of the most restless spirits in 20th century art. Taylor would go on to say, without Roxy Music, there really would be no Duran Duran. But enough of what these celebrities say. What say you about the man, Chris? I think he is an all-time great. You know, he's criminally underappreciated on this side of the pond, as you noted. You know, I think in addition to, to Duran Duran, I mean, there there's so many bands especially in the 80s, early 90s, um, 70s, of course, as well, who sort of the, the new wave pop generation and even even other types of bands, um, you know, everybody from the Talking Heads to U2, who were, I think, influenced in one way or another by Ferry and Roxy Music. And for sure, you know, the, the fact that they had to wait that long to get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is asinine. But yeah, he's, he's brilliant. I, I think what, one of the things that I love about him is that he, he strikes me as someone who does not take himself all that seriously. I, I think someone could look at him from afar and think, who is this you know, pretentious guy? But I, I think he does it all. You know, the tuxedo jacket, the swagger, the <laughs> ridiculous slow motion videos with steam rising up. I think he does it all knowing full well that it's over the top and ridiculous and he he leans into it he he embraces life and i think everything that the world offers you know he leans into not only the good but his songs are filled with obsession and heartbreak which we'll get into in a little bit whatever he does he does it to the nth degree yeah he's a consummate professional uh, a perfectionist to a fault perhaps mm -hmm. um but yeah i i would agree with you 100 percent and you know, for me, my sort of fairy thing started as a teenager, really. Uh, I think I was probably like 16 years old when I really discovered and embraced fairy. And I think like a lot of 16-year-olds or a lot of teenagers, you look for a celebrity icon and you sort of look for, you kind of look for a contemporary icon. But to me, there really weren't any contemporary icons that were were resonating with me, you know? I mean, many of our classmates look toward Michael Jordan, let's say, as their, as their hero. Uh, but let's face it, you know me, I was never very athletic. So Jordan wasn't my guy, as much as I think Jordan was incredible. And then when it came to rock and rollers of that era, that didn't work for me because you had guys like Kirk Cobain or Eddie Vedder or any of the neo-hippie types that were all the rage in the mid-90s major talents, but just not something that, that clicked with me. And then all of a sudden, I stumble upon Brian Ferry and that, that lounge lizard sheep. And I said, that's it. It was the look. 
it was the sound, it was the atmosphere, it was everything. And, you know, I'll say this much, unlike other artists whose work we've profiled here on Listen Closely with John and Chris, little known fact, Brian Ferry is the only one who I actually got to meet. Wait, you met Ferry? I thought you knew this story. Apparently you did not. I don't know. Tell us. All right. This is a a Listen Closely with John and Chris exclusive. (laughs) It was November of 1999, and Ferry was touring uh, the States for the first time in several years, and he played a small theater in Boston. I forget. It was on the campus of Emerson College, Hmm. Uh, but it was a really nice old theater. I want to say it was called the Majestic, maybe. Well, anyway. I dragged my then-girlfriend with me. And when I say dragged, I mean, she did not want to go to this. She had no clue who Brian Ferry was. And she looked at me halfway through the concert and said, this is the weirdest goddamn concert I've ever been to in my life. You know, why are all the guys wearing blazers with T-shirts underneath? Um, And so we went to the stage door afterward, and it was freezing cold outside, you know, Boston in late November. And there was a small group of people at the stage door and all of a sudden swung open and out walks this towering presence and it was just as you'd expect it was very tall probably like six three wearing a long dark overcoat a scarf wrapped around his neck and a beret on his head and and was shaking hands and posing for pictures and this was before camera phones so i unfortunately didn't have anything to take a picture of with him and he came up to me and i was as you'd expect a, a you know a mumbling babbling idiot and i'm like brian this is a great show man it's such a pleasure to meet you this is really just so amazing and he flashed that trademark grin and shook my hand and he's like oh thank you thank you very much thank you for coming that was lovely (laughs) and that was it and that's uh that's when i met brian ferry wow i i don't know that you ever told me that i mean maybe you didn't i forgot but that's i I have to tell the listeners like that Brian Ferry to John is, is more than just, you know, oh, he's my favorite singer. I mean, he is a beacon in John's life uh, and has been for 25 years. You must have been out of your mind. I was. And I mean, to think that it happened when I was 22, it's been really all downhill since then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Was that Roxy or was it just him in that concert? No, Ro- Roxy hadn't reunited yet. So it was just Ferry. It was his As Time Goes By tour. So he was doing a bunch of standards, but he threw in a few solo songs and he threw in a handful of Roxy songs. He did like Loves the Drug and Avalon, a good concert, but he was much better when I saw him play with Roxy and in subsequent solo shows, like the one you and I saw in 2016, I think was, was outstanding. Yeah. Um, I typically prefer Brian Ferry's work with Roxy music much more than his solo stuff. But having said that, I think his solo career has had its moments. And in honor of Ferry's 75th birthday, this episode, we're going to focus on what I think, Chris, is Brian Ferry's solo masterpiece. And that's 1987's Bette Noir. Yes. I mean, it's a tough call. You've got boys and girls and there's some other great stuff as well. But this, this is a fantastic album. I have to tell you, when you told me you wanted to do this one... I, I agreed, but in the back of my mind, I was thinking, eh, you know, I kind of feel like this is a good to very good album. I, I don't know, but I'll do it. But in the last couple of weeks, listening to this several times, I hadn't, I hadn't listened closely enough in the past. 
I love this album. It's, it's smooth, it's sultry, you know, it's just littered with all sorts of tales of seduction and obsession. Uh, it's got this real exotic sound to it with these African and Caribbean and, you know, Latin American beats to it. It feels, to me, it, this whole album feels like you are slinking around back alleys of like Marrakesh and <laughs> chasing after beautiful exotic women. I think you're right on the money. I mean, Bet Noir is an album that is graceful and elegant, but not boring. And I find the album to be as a whole more energetic and upbeat than its predecessor, Boys and Girls, which when you think about it, aside from the big hit, Slave to Love, which is Barry's biggest solo hit, I think Boys and Girls is an album that sounds as though it's in like a medicated haze. And it, it was written around the time Ferry's father passed away. So maybe that affected the sound. But I think Bet Noir is not only what I feel to be Ferry's finest solo album, but I think, Chris, that had Roxy Music not split up in 1983 and had they soldiered on for a few more years in the 1980s, this is likely what a mid-1980s Roxy Music album might have sounded like. The album has these more upbeat, aggressive moments. More than half the album is like that when you think about it. You have Kiss and Tell, which is the album's hit song. There's Limbo. There's the title track, which is a tango for crying out loud. The right stuff, Day for Night. There's some really great stuff on this album. Really, really great song. There is, and I think he he wanted to make something that was more up-tempo and that you could dance to, right? I mean, he hooked up with Patrick Leonard, the, uh, I think, writer and producer who had worked a lot with Madonna, who wrote a lot of the songs on this. And yeah, I think it's a really interesting album. Um, it's a great, it's got a great tempo to it and a great mix of pacing. I feel like the interweaving of it, it it really feels like you're watching a movie. There's something very cinematic about it and that, you know, it kind of slows down in points and gets sort of brooding and pensive, but then other points, it's kind of this galloping pace. So I think it's really well put together. I would have to agree. But not everyone agreed though. Mm. In a mixed review upon its release, Rolling Stone magazine said that Bet Noir is another step in Ferry's retreat from distinct songs into atmosphere and feel. And that, his voice sinks more deeply into the murky layers of his music as his lyrics are reduced to a Morse code of refined despair and his subjects recede into the mist. Ferry seems increasingly like Narcissus, enraptured by his own reflection in the pond in the bottomless depth below. Very well written review, though. It, it is. I, I actually read that one. You know, I... <laughs> I my response to that is that I, I think I agree with a lot of that and I don't care. And in some ways, I think some of the stuff he's saying negatively to me is almost a positive. I, you know, I don't think every great album has to be this impeccably written, you know, Springsteen, Bob Dylan type thing. The fact that this album is extremely atmospheric, I think is one of its strengths. I don't think that's a drawback. I would agree, but you know, Rolling Stone, sometimes they, they don't have the nicest things to say. I mean, for crying out loud, two weeks ago, we did an episode on Hotel California and they didn't exactly praise that album upon its release. I know, so, this makes me mad. It's like, just, I don't know. Not everything but in a, more, yeah. in a more modern and contemporary review, allmusic.com said it best, I think. 
Bet Noir sparkles as the highlight of Ferry's post-Roxy solo career, adding enough energy to make it more than Boys and Girls Part Two. Here, his trademark well-polished heartache strikes a fine balance between mysterious moodiness and dance floor energy. Yeah, that's right on the money. Yeah. No. So what do you think? Do we, uh, do we jump into the picks right here? I think, yeah, let's, uh, let's do it. I think this is going to be some interesting picks here. I think so. Lay it on me. Uh, let's start with the Nadir. What do you find to be the weak moment or something weak associated with this outstanding, amazing album? I had a lot of trouble with the Nadir. Uh, because yeah, I think this album is very cohesive. I think everything flows into everything else extremely well. If I had to pick one though, and and this hurts because I feel like you're not going to like this one. I mean, that's not why it hurts, but it's got a very cool title. The title track, Bet Noir, the last, the last song on the album. What? Yeah. I, Jesus, you're inhaling too many of the fumes from those forest (laughs) fires, man. What the fuck? I don't think it's a bad song and I wouldn't, I wouldn't take it off. I wouldn't take it off the album, but there's something about the, I don't know, the tango. I, I respect him doing a, a song that has a tango as its basis. I think that's pretty cool, but I just don't like it as much as the other songs. I, I am, I am shocked. <laughs> really? I'm almost speechless. Yeah. I mean, I, wow. I think it, I mean, it fits. I just, if I'm going to listen to a song from this album, Bet Noir's, you know, it's not, it's not anywhere near the top. See, I think it's a, whatever, whatever. I think it's a beautiful song. I like the fact that it's a tango. Lyrically, I think it's, it's, it's moving even. I'm not saying it's a bad song. I'm just saying that compared to the other ones, this one doesn't do as much for me. There's something a little, a a little too playful about going to the tango. You know, a lot of the other songs have these hints of these different styles. This one I feel like was, it's very in your face with the, with the tango and I, you know, nothing against the tango. I just felt like it's not my favorite. I, see, to me, I think it's one of the three best songs on the album. Wow, really? Yeah, I, I've, I've always loved Bet Noir. Always loved it. And I think it's a, when he does it live, uh, and I've seen him do it live a couple of times, I think it's, it's always a highlight. Hmm. I don't know. There's something that comes off a little bit forced or a little bit, dare I say, cheesy with it. Well, it was 1987, Chris. Come on, get your head out of your ass. <laughs> wow, I really touched a nerve here. Um, you did. <laughs> well, what if you're, you know, if you're gonna bitch at me, what, what did you, <laughs> what do you think is the? This was this was easy for me. I mean, I knew this the second we decided to do this album. Really? Um, it was very simple. Track number three, New Town. I, I just when I listened to it, I kind of get what Rolling Stone magazine was saying. It's this kind of dreary song that doesn't go anywhere it drags on and on very sort of just chants aimlessly it's really just a low point from an otherwise exceptional album that song does nothing for me at all see i like new town <laughs> i really yeah i think new town i mean it's it's really brooding it's dark but i kind of like that i mean this song i think it's got some really some really great lyrics. I mean, he wants to get out of this town. He wants to get to a new place. I feel like we've had this conversation a million times about kind of being tired of the place you're in. And I mean, the end of it, the shadow hanging over me, I've got to tear it down, new town calling me. That's kind of powerful. Lyrically, it's not bad, fine. But the, 
the melody, there is no melody. It just kind of, it, it just chants. It, it rambles on mindlessly. I mean, maybe we should just, you know, wash our hands of this and move on to the sleeper moment. Because here I thought we were going to have a nice 75th birthday celebration for Brian Ferry. And uh, we're really at odds over the, the nadir here. Well, I think there's, there's beauty in the difference. And, you know, maybe you just, you just don't know Brian Ferry as well as you think you do. I shook his hand. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, let's move on. Let's go to the... Uh, let's go so, to- tell me about your sleeper moment, Christopher. Oh, man. I'll tell you what. I have trouble with my sleeper because... <laughs> don't, tell, don't tell me you picked Newtown <laughs> as your sleeper. Because then we're going to end, end this conversation right now. No. No, my sleeper is actually off of... Uh, off of boys and girls. Uh, no, I'm kidding. That's uh, <laughs> so. I think there's a there's a this album is rife with sleeper songs. It is. Yeah. Um, it wasn't a big album for singles, <clears throat> but there's a ton of deep tracks on here. The only problem I have with my sleeper is that I I came damn close to picking it as my zenith, and it's a song that in the past I had I had liked, but when I listened to it over the past week or two. It just jumped off the page, and that is the penultimate song, The Name of the Game. Oh, what a song. Oh, my God. It's so beautiful and kind of wistful and haunting. I think it really epitomizes this album um, in that you've got sort of a lost love, and you know he's kind of obsessing over it. In the Wilderness Again, where I fight for my soul, I can see no end. When you know the name of the game, you never play enough. In the name of heaven, you pray. You can never pray enough. Out of control. And the whole thing is really, I think it just has this feeling of, of a guy kind of spiraling out of control over a, uh, a lost love, which is, it's fairy at his best right there. It is. And it also has what I consider to be one of the finest moments on the album. And I want to say that had we done this five years ago, I would have picked name of the game as, as my, my zenith. Really? Um, but I, yeah, oh, I, I think it's just an incredible song. Um, there's that moment toward the end where you have that, that sort of instrumental and it, it kind of swells to a percent crescendo and then it slows down and, and gets slower and slower. And then his voice just cuts right back in with the line out of control, wildflower, don't you fade. Um, and from that point on to the end of the song, it's just, it's just incredible. It is. You think it's almost over. You think the, the song is fading out. Right. And, oh no, he comes back and gives you some more. Um, it's amazing. I, I came real close to picking it as my, my zenith. Um, I, the, the beginning of it to me is incredible too. Uh, out of control. And as far as I can see, no religion can save me now, though I'm trying to believe. That's, that's classic fairy, just sort of in despair right there. It, it really is. All right, so you redeemed yourself from that whole Bet Noir uh, Newtown. Uh, oh, I'm glad, I'm glad you can. <laughs> what did you, in your eminent wisdom, what did you go with for your sleeper? So this is a song that I used to skip over, and I've been listening to this album for 25 years. Um, and up until maybe five years ago, not even, I, I skipped over this song regularly, but I really started to embrace it the last few years. And it's track number five, Zamba. Ooh, um, yeah. I love Zamba. I absolutely love this song. It, to me, you know, I said earlier that this is the album that I think Roxy Music would have made had they carried on a few more years. 
and it's very reminiscent of early Roxy music. Uh, songs uh, reminiscent of In Every Dream, Home of Heartache, Chance Meeting, Casanova, uh, but with more of a, an atmospheric, very 80s production and feel to it. It's slow, it's sparse, but it is haunting and beautiful. I think Zamba really is just an incredible, incredible song. I, I do too, yeah. This, I mean, the, it is so sparse, like you said. I mean, there's only maybe eight or nine lines in the song, but it packs so much into it, um, and it's so haunting. Uh, Girl, you drive me crazy, how you never come around. Yeah. Um, autumn clearing, all the leaves are falling down. Oh, I yeah. Really now. Uh, it's beautiful. And I think there's a lot of places on this album where he really, he takes it down several notches to a, to a point with these kind of slow brooding songs that just about anybody else would really have trouble with. And I think people would get bored with, but I think a through his, his lyrical stylings, you know, he has such a way with phrasings and things. And also with the production on this, um, it just keeps you, it keeps you hooked. It keeps you listening. It, it does. You know, that's one of the things I noticed, Chris, in listening to this album several times over the last week or so, the album is only about 45 minutes in length. Mm. It goes by so quickly because you really don't get a moment to tune out at all. The, the songs keep you hooked. They keep you engaged, even Newtown. Uh, there's never a moment where you just kind of zone out from this album. It really, it takes you in. It's true. It's true. I had the same experience, you know, the, the last, uh, you know, Bet Noir final track would end and I would think, what, that was 45 minutes just went by? Um, and it's, it's really seamless. You know, there's no point where you're kind of taken out of the flow. It's all there. It's all right there. It's very present. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's, you know, it's an album that, like I was saying with my experience, how this album to me had always been a very good one, but maybe not a great one until I listened to it this time around. And I think you really have to, sink into this album and play it from start to finish. Um, you know, I don't think it's one that is as good if you just kind of jump into a song or two here and there. I think if you, you got to get in the flow of this album. Um, and once you do, man, it just sweeps you up. I think that's a big part of it. You're right. And I also think a big part of it is there's a, there's a time and place for this album. This is not an album that you're going to put on as you're, you know, getting ready to go to your July 4th barbecue. Um, you know, this is, a, this is very much a, an autumn-feeling album. Uh, you know, as, as he addressed in Zamba, uh, all the leaves are coming down. Uh, you know, it's uh, when you start to feel that, those crisp nights, I think this is, um, this is an album for, for October, if you will. Agreed, agreed. Okay, well then I guess it's time for the big reveal. Chris, what did you go with for your Zenith? This song has been probably my favorite since I first listened to this album. Um, 
and it still holds up uh, day for night. Um, that's the song, Day for Night. Um, I, I just think there's a lot of great tracks on this album, but this one just has this relentless drive to it um, that I think matches Fairy's lyrics about, you know, always being on this quest for love. And this one, it's filled with, with heartbreak, I think, but it's also got this continuing drive to to find love and it's there's points i think in the lyrics here where it's it gets a little cheesy but overall i I just think it's a great song every time it comes on my ears perk up i uh you notice i didn't say anything when you you didn't i thought you cut off there i thought the smoke might have uh, messed up (laughs) (laughs) and usually i jump at any chance to cut you off you know that (laughs) um but uh i I think this is the uh, second week in a row that uh, we are in agreement on the Zenith. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, you know, if, again, if this were five years ago, I would have probably chosen the name of the game. But in the end, I have to agree with you. I went with Day for Night. I, I think you are 100% right in your assessment. I think the song is, is, is glitzy. It's sexy. It's aggressive. It's well-produced. But I think, and you touched upon this, lyrically, it's classic Brian Ferry. He's the the boozy, jaded, loungy, lonely, late-night Lothario, you know? And and what I find interesting with this is, depending on how you read into the lyrics, you can't tell if he's singing to some woman who has jilted him that he desperately wants to get back, or if he's just rebounding and, and... trying his best to woo somebody new. And that's why you, you touched upon something in that the lyrics can you know, border on a little cheesy at times, but I think that's part of his whole game here. Um, I don't know, I, I, I love the lyrics to the song. Open your eyes, day for night, look what you've done to me. Open your heart, stay tonight. No woman could mean so much to me. And it's just, a, it's, it's such a well-produced, driving rhythm and beat to this song it is it's like a gallop to it um exactly and it's got that it's got that real sharp guitar that that electric guitar that comes in which again like i think it's a little cheesy but i really don't give a shit it's (laughs) i love it it's so cool and it hits you right in the gut um i i just think it's fantastic it's an amazing song. Absolutely amazing song. One of Ferry's best solo compositions, I really think. Yeah, yeah. Now, are we, I mean, man, I think, I feel like we need more controversy. We can't keep having the same Zenith. How are we ever going to catch Conan and, you know, Joe Rogan and all these guys? Well, I mean, here's the thing. I think the fact that we, we had a, a major disagreement with the Nadir is... is we did. It's substantial. And I mean, I, we're going to take this offline, I hope you realize, after uh, this, this recording is done. I intend to call you. And I want to, I want to flesh this out a little bit because I, I'm, that's not sitting well with me that you shit talk the title track. I mean, I wouldn't say I shit talked it. I said it was. You shit talk the title track. Well, I think, you're, I think you're letting your personal relationship with Brian cloud things a little bit. But sure, we, we can talk about it more off air. Well, all right. 
how, how well do you think this album captures the cultural zeitgeist of the era? Mm, you know, that's a, I, that's a tricky question. I don't, I don't think particularly well um, because I think Brian Ferry is a guy who's always sort of ahead of his time. Um, I, I do think the one area where I would say it does is, you know, the other night, and this is going to be a strange sentence that you wouldn't expect. I watched Romancing the Stone, the 1984 Michael Douglas, Kat, Kathleen Turner movie. Why? I don't know. I'd never seen it. Uh, you know, I've been stuck inside for days upon days with the smoke, you know, seeping in through the windows and smoke got in your eyes. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting because in the eighties, you know, mid to late eighties, there definitely was a fascination, I think both in Hollywood and music with these sort of third world rhythms, you know, and, and mm -hmm. there were a lot of movies with, you know, people going off into these third world countries that were, you know, kind of viewed as exotic um, and un, untapped, um, you know, and musically, I mean, you had things like Paul Simon with Graceland and sure. um, a couple of weeks ago, we did the Boz Skaggs episode. He was dropping some reggae in there. We've had another. That was June, but okay. If you want to say it's a couple of weeks ago, that's fine. All right. You don't have to get all bitchy about it. <laughs> Um, yeah, but I think there was this sense in the eighties, you know, the, the world was developing pretty rapidly and shrinking in a lot of ways, um, because of technology, uh, and just ease of travel. And I think there were a lot of artists who, in whatever discipline, film, music, who were kind of going off onto these tangents where they were channeling different you know african rhythms south american rhythms uh, right right so I, I think in that sense it it does but otherwise uh, fairy's usually ahead of his time so i don't know that it's really indicative of its time what do you think see i think it captures a certain aspect of, of, of mid-80s zeitgeist i see this as sort of the alternative soundtrack to 80s coked out excess um you know with like robert palmer's heavy nova being the more mainstream soundtrack. You know, I read an article not too long ago, I forget if it was in Vulture or whatever, and they said, you know, Brian Ferry looks like cocaine. He's this <laughs> shining, glimmering figure in all white. And, um, you know, there's this very, like, polished white guy, preppy excess to both boys and girls in Bete Noir. And I just imagine that if I think of the film American Psycho and I think of the Christian Bale character, Patrick Bateman, and I say to myself, if he had been based out of London instead of Manhattan, this is what he'd be playing. He'd be listening to Bete Noir instead of Phil Collins or Huey Lewis. And he'd be extolling the virtues of Ferry's post-Roxy solo career as he gleefully prepares to murder a prostitute with an axe. Um, that's just the vibe I get. So I think there is a sort of crazy 80s excess uh, that is encapsulated in this album. And in that regard, I think it, it 
it does do a good job of capturing uh, the zeitgeist of the era, if that makes any sense. No, it and, does. You get, you know, a song like Kiss and Tell was actually in Bright Light's Big City. Exactly. Um, so, yeah. I, I, do, you know what, do you know what Kiss and Tell's about? Is that the one about Jerry Hall? Yeah, it's the one about Jerry Hall. Yes. Because uh, she had written, what was it, a couple of years prior, uh, a rather salacious uh, tell-all. Uh, and, you know, she talks a lot about Mick Jagger, but of course she, um, she was with Ferry and she left Ferry for Mick Jagger. And I think this, uh, this was kind of his, his payback. And I think the line that really, um, there's one line that he really takes a good jab at her and it's the flash photograph. It's the only light you see. Um, so, yeah, but, but you're right. It, it, it did appear in that film. So I think, Okay, so we're on the same page a little bit there. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And it should be said, you know, I mentioned American Psycho, and I mentioned the Christian Bale, Patrick Bateman character. When you watch those monologues that he gives, his musical tastes are so closely aligned with yours. <laughs> You've told me, you know, I've, never, I've never seen that movie. You need to really watch it, because there, when you watch that, and he's about to ask somebody, uh, it's almost like, I'm talking to you and <laughs> he finds these, these, these nuances to like the Phil Collins face value album or Huey Lewis sports or, or Lionel Richie. Um, it's really, it's kind of eerie. Like there's, <laughs> there's a lot of similarities there. Yeah. I think that's why I've avoided watching it because I'm, I think it would weird me out, you know? Um, but Maybe. I, think I need to, I think I need to. Fair enough. Uh, do you have any particular memories, any sort of uh, pop culture references that stick out in your mind with this, with this album? Well, I, this was the first album that I, that I bought after I bought my record player out here um, on the West Coast because it is legally mandated that once you live within like 30 miles of Portland, you have to listen to music on a record player. Correct. Um, and uh, yeah, I saw this album in the record store and thought it would be a fitting first one to get. Um, and for a long time, I, I didn't have a table to put my records on at first. So I, I just kind of put them on the windowsill and I would, I would put this one on the back kind of facing out um, into the courtyard behind my house, thinking that if if any woman would ever come along and see the Brian Ferry Bet Noir album and comment on it, like while I was sitting on the porch, that that would probably be the woman that I would know to marry. Could be. If that makes sense, yeah. No, I, 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 I wouldn't disagree with it. Sadly, no, you know, it didn't, it didn't happen, but. Uh, would your first dance have been to Newtown? <laughs> it probably wouldn't have been to the title track. No, certainly not, because you know I loathe that. Uh, right, of course. Even though it's a danceable song, it's a <laughs> fucking tango. What about you? What I'm sure you have a million personal memories to this. Right, I do, but I'm going to go with the most inappropriate one, actually. Okay. Um, but uh, the one that, I don't want to say it's the one that comes to mind, but perhaps it's one that I think of the most. Uh, it involves a certain tall, leggy brunette that... Uh, was uh, this was going back probably about oh I don't know four years ago and it was right around this time of year actually 
it was kind of a crisp early autumn night and um she happened to be over my place uh we were having some wine this is all all kind of sort of sounds like a brian ferry song um and she started looking at my lp collection and uh she pulled out the brian ferry boys and girls album on lp and she gasped with excitement probably the only time she gasped with excitement that night it should be said uh but she gasped with excitement knowing that i had a brian ferry album and she said oh my god you you like brian ferry and this was a surprise to me considering that well this girl was probably like five or she was born maybe like five or six years after that noir was released so Oh, I thought we were talking math. I thought this was going to be your sister. No, no, no. My sister's a big fairy fan. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, no. So, um, anyway, so uh, she asked if I could put on the Boys and Girls album, which I did. But after we got to Slave to Love, I, I looked at her and I go, listen, I have a much better option for you. And uh, I said, do you mind if we listen to Bette Noir? I think it's a better album. She said, I've never heard it, but sure. So she was on board with that, and uh, it was a good night. Uh, although I don't think she really appreciated hearing Zamba on repeat, as I insisted that we do. But that's, that's a whole other story. So <laughs> that's a dark one to go on repeat. Yeah, that's... you know how it goes sometimes, though. No, I hear you. The hear moment's you. right, and the song just just hits you at the right time, and that's what happened. <laughs> wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so Chris, uh, Bette Noir, perfect album? Yes. I'm going to say yes. Um, you know, do I, do I absolutely love Bette Noir, the song? No. Would I take it off the album? Nope. I think it fits. And, um, I think it's a perfect album. You? I don't know. I, I struggle with this. I think... It's a perfect Brian Ferry solo album, as perfect a Brian Ferry solo album as one would expect. Uh, a perfect album in the conventional sense, I'm not 100% certain, but I do love the album. And again, it's a perfect Ferry solo album in my opinion. It's refined, has a lot of attention to detail, and for the most part, the songs are just so damn good. They really are. And I think you said it best. It, it was an album that's kind of a slow burn. Like, you know, I've listened to it countless times over the years, but it was really just this last time around as we prepared for this, this episode that I, I, I jumped into it and I embraced it more than ever. Yeah, and I think with the perfect album distinction, I almost think of it as, you know, like in the Olympics when you see diving and you get a score that's based on your degree of difficulty. So you can do a dive that's not a high degree of difficulty and do it perfectly. And you might lose out to someone who does an imperfect dive, but has a much higher degree of difficulty. And to me, a perfect album is, is just that an album that, that does what it sets out to do. And to me, I think that's sort of what you're saying about like, it's a perfect Brian Ferry album. Um, you know, is it as good as, Hotel California? No, but I, I think it's it's seamless. You know, there's nothing I would change about it. And to me, that's why it's perfect. I think that that's sense? an outstanding assessment. Yeah. 
Well, Brian Ferry, if you're listening, I don't know why you would be. But, <laughs> we do have but, some listeners in the UK, don't we? Could you imagine if it's Brian Ferry? We do have listeners in the UK. Our UK listenership is up. Um, but Brian, if you are listening, thank you for everything over the years. Uh, and happy 75th birthday. And to the rest of our regular listeners, look, if you haven't really noticed yet, I'm big into Brian Ferry. I'm big into Roxy Music. And Chris, I think you are as well. And um, go out sometime on or around September 26th and do yourselves a favor. Do us a favor. Listen to some goddamn Brian Ferry and listen to some Roxy Music. You will not regret it. Do it. And let us know what you think at Podcast Closely on Twitter. And that brings us to the difficult part because... This in and of itself is an adhere of this album. <laughs> Bet Noir is not available on Spotify. So therefore, none of the tracks that we mentioned tonight can be featured on the official Listen Closely with John and Chris playlist, which Chris has taken the time to put together and make available on Spotify. Chris, I don't know what we're going to do in this case, but perhaps post some uh, videos from YouTube to some of the better tracks. I will, yeah. I'll put up the uh, sleepers and the uh, the uh, zeniths on on Twitter. Some some videos, and perhaps a live version of the title track. I'll do it, and people can decide for themselves. Yeah, you let them do that. You let them do that. Chris, <laughs> as always, thank you so much. Stay safe out there, and remember, only you can prevent forest fires. <laughs> John, you take care. Always a pleasure. Be well. <laughs>